0: Thanks so much for joining the New Life Cool and Gather podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we exist to simply see more people more like Jesus by planning and leading thriving local churches. You've joined us for our vision series, where we will be unpacking our four discipleship priorities of gathering the lost, growing in community, growing as disciples and going on mission. These four priorities are how we understand God has called us to live as His disciples. And over the next two weeks, we will unpack how we believe God is calling and challenging us to outwork these priorities in 2023. We pray this message is a blessing.
1: Well, good morning, New Life calling Gowda. Exciting to be here this morning as we open the Word of God and we discern what it is that he may have for us to hear and to know about him today. Um, today, we're going to open up our scriptures. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open them up to Acts chapter 2. We're going to flip through to verse 42. And whilst you do that, if you haven't met me before, my name is David Skembry, and I get the absolute pleasure of being one of the pastors here on team at New Life Cool And we are in week two today, out of two on our Vision Sundays. This is an annual endeavor our church goes on to remind, reinvigorate, bring new passion, and reinvite all of us to be on the remarkable mission that God has had for our church and has for our church to keep stepping into. And my hope today is that we may actually progress measurably on the mission that God has set forth for our church to be on. And I literally mean measurably, but there is an issue we face if we want to do this. You see, the issue we face is that if all of us have different perspectives on what the mission of our church is, we'll all find ourselves going in different directions, thinking we're doing a good or right thing. And at the end of the day, we'll find out we've actually achieved nothing except for a little bit of arguments and a a bit of disunity. And so what I'm going to do in a few seconds, I'm going to pop a 15-second timer on the screen behind me, and you have 15 seconds, which isn't long, to turn to your neighbor and just say the first thing that comes to mind when I ask you what the mission of our church is. 15 seconds, what is the mission of our church? starting now. <laughs> Three, two, one. Amazing. Awesome. Not long. Hey, you just got to say what you think. It's a hard one to do. But hey, what we gonna do, I'm going to invite you to holler, uh, to, to, to cheer, whatever, to whoop, if you got it right. But I'm going to share what the mission of our church is. Our church, New Life, exists to see more people Become more like Jesus by planting and leading local, thriving churches. Anybody get it? Yeah, that was louder than i a.m. Great job, guys. <laughs> It was a competition, a new one. Hey, so we often think of church, well, I believe we may often misunderstand what church is. We may think of church kind of like a train, right? You know, you guys, the, the congregation, you're kind of like passengers. You find your seat, you take your seat, you enjoy the journey. You've got the ministry team. We're kind of like the staff. We'll stamp your tickets, get you a glass of water, point you to the toilet. I don't know if they get you waters on trains. I don't go on trains very often. But anyway, point being, you know, that's how we're perceived. But then the church as a whole is viewed as being on like train tracks, ever persistently traveling in one direction as God commands. And this perspective sounds cool, except it's not really the way the scriptures describe the, the church. The, the church is more often described kind of like a rowboat in the middle of the sea. And it can go any direction, even upside down at times. And it is the role of all of us to pick up an oar And begin sailing, begin moving this boat in the same direction towards the mission that God has laid before us as a church. And that mission, as I said, is more people, becoming more like Jesus by planting and leading local thriving churches. So we have four missional priorities, oars, if you will, that we hope that you guys will take hold of, that we as a community will all take hold of. And by doing so, we can progress this mission. The first is this we will gather the lost. The second is we will glue into community. The third is that we will grow as disciples. And the fourth is that we will go on mission. And by wielding these four pillars, these four oars, these four statements, moving in the direction of our mission, we believe tangibly the presence and evidence of God moving in our communities, in this church, in our lives, will be so real that our city won't be able to avoid noticing there is something special about a community of Christians that are following closely Jesus and his mission for our church. But perhaps in this room, you're, you're thinking to yourself, like, okay, wow, this church is so modern. It has missional values and, and mission statements, and that's so cool. But, but, but why can't we just be the church? Why do we have to have these uh, newish-sounding missional things? And I want to let you know on a secret. New Life agrees. We all agree. And these missional priorities, these, this, this mission statement, it is not the church trying to give us a radical, re-energizing new mission for the church to do and endeavor embark upon so that we might see a resurgence of life in the church. Actually, what we're doing is giving modern language to the ancient mission of God that has been real and genuine for our church from the beginning of the church all the way to today. We are giving modern language so that we, the church, may take hold of the unchanging, unflinching, unapologetic mission of God to see the world and this, like this community, this world transformed by His goodness. That is what we're doing here. And I'd love to invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and see this mission actually embodied in the earliest example of church that we have. It says this, They, the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everybody was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Holy God, I thank you so much that we are a community you would like to bring people in daily to receive your salvation. That we are a community that you wish to lead us to a place where we are filled with awe at the wonders you're doing in this room, in our lives, in remarkable ways, in all sorts of different ways. We thank you, God, that the mission of the early church and the mission of the modern church has never changed and it won't ever change. We are part of a larger family that you have called to do beautiful things through. So God, we just thank you that we are not on life support, but we have a purpose and a mission to do wonderful remarkable things in your name today on this planet. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be continuing to work in us as, as we look through the scriptures. I pray you would be continuing to bring something alive in us as we look through your word and, and examine what it means for us today. And Holy Jesus, I thank you that though we fail countlessly and though we forget all of this stuff quickly, and that though, God, we prioritize all the wrong things in our lives over and over, Holy Jesus, your blood is sufficient. Your cross was enough. And when you resurrected, you resurrected for good. And we just thank you today that we don't have to enter this conversation feeling shame and guilt and condemnation, but we can enter a conversation about purpose, knowing every single one of us in this room have been washed clean and set free in the name of Jesus. And we are all called to be all carriers in the name of Jesus for the mission of this church. We praise you, Jesus. And in your perfect, beautiful, and unfailing name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever had a moment where you've, uh, um, you've been in a conversation with someone, and they've said something, and you've listened, and you've kind of replied, and you've, you've kind of moved on with the conversation, and about two hours later, you've had this moment where you go, "Ah, oh, my brain is so slow. That's a way better reply. Do you know what I mean? Like those moments where like three hours later, you come up with what you should have said three hours ago. Um, let me give you an example. Last week, somehow, and I don't know how, and to give context to this before I go into it, uh, all of you aquatic animals out there might find this unusual, but I am very much so a land mammal. I am not fond of the water. The water scares me. And Exactly a week, uh, scares is a bit extreme, but uh, maybe. Um, No, it's accurate. but about a week ago, um, somehow, Ella, my amazing girlfriend, convinced me to let her teach me how to sup. And I'm going to say it was a bit of a trick, because I thought sup was a greeting. I didn't realize it stood for stand-up paddleboarding. And so she got me... And that requires water, if you don't know. You're standing on a board. Everyone knows. but I'm just going to explain anyway. You're standing on a board, and you're on the water. There's water beneath you, you know, jellyfish under there. And so you, you're on this board, and she gets me out there, because she has to do it for an accreditation for work. And so she says, I need some people to teach. So she gets a bunch of willing victims, and then me, uh, an unwilling victim, And, and somehow, after her very good teaching, I managed to stand on this paddleboard, and we go up, and we go back down. Now, on the way back, um, she had someone there who had to assess what she was doing so she could get the accreditation. And um, I thought, why not strike up conversation with this guy, get my mind off the many horrors of being on top of the water and maybe falling in and being cold. There's actually nothing that bad about water. I just don't like it. Um, but I was chatting to this guy, and, and I asked him um, some questions. We got onto the topic of Christianity. He was a Christian. And so I asked the inevitable next question, oh, do you fellowship somewhere? Do you, do you go to a church? And he replied by, like, skirting the question. He was like, well, my dad's a pastor. That's not what I asked, but okay. You know, he was like, well, yeah, I've been to church most of my life. And I'm starting to get the image that the answer is no, he doesn't go to a church. And so he's like, yeah, I've been to church most of my life. I, um, uh, you know, but after a while, you, know, you get a bit tired. You know, you do enough church, you can get a little bit tired sometimes. You know, you do enough church, you can get a bit wounded by the other people and the expectations. And so here I am, 89.999% of my energy just focusing on standing on this board and not falling into the water. I'm not really thinking, but what I'm feeling is compassion. What I'm feeling is compassion, because this guy's sharing that he's come to church, and throughout his experience in church, he's grown weary. He's, he's become wounded. And my heart breaks. I'm like, I'm so sorry, friend, that that's been your experience of church. That's not what church is meant to be. We continue our conversation. We get back to shore. I step on a solid land. I'm saved. Hallelujah. We get into a car. Uh, we're driving home, and then I have that drats moment. I go, oh, that's such a better reply. That's such a better way of thinking about it. You see, I was reminded in the New Testament that um, the early church were not superheroes. You know, they got weary too. You know, actually, they didn't have computers and machines to help with their heavy lifting. The early church had long, long days of manual labor and then doing their accounts, whatever that looked like back then, you know, and, and they had hard lives. They grew weary too. And when I considered the early New Testament, I remember that within a few decades, one of the apostles of Jesus himself gets rebuked and has to apologize because he accidentally grew hypocritical for a short while there. Even one of the apostles had sin creep into his life. And so we keep reading the New Testament. We see letters from from the disciples and apostles going to the local churches and these warnings about false teaching and corruption sneaking in and these wolves beware. And I start to realize, wait a minute, the early church wasn't a haven of safety that today the church isn't. They grew weary and wounded back then just like we do today. And then I noticed something else. The disciples... The apostles, the the letter writers, they continue to say the same exhortation, the same invitation. Don't forsake the gathering. Don't give up doing community. I I know sometimes it can be hard. This is important. Prioritize doing Christianity and community. I know it can sometimes be difficult, but, but this is worth it. Keep gathering together as Christians. And I noticed this in what I realized to myself is that this guy, our friend, the instructor, he didn't stop going to church out of fear of being wounded or weary. If woundedness and weariness was enough, you to, enough to stop you doing something, you wouldn't get out of bed in the morning because there's nothing in this world that won't make you more weary and, and, and risk you being wounded. What he had was he had lost hope that something about the church is more beautiful and a greater blessing to our lives, to our families' lives, and to our community's lives than any risk of woundedness could ever be. He had lost hope that the Church of Jesus Christ is a unique, beautiful, and life bringing organism in our world. That was the real risk. And so, my hope today, my hope today is that we may gather together devoted, devoted to the teachings of Jesus, to the way of Jesus, to being formed by Jesus, just like the early church was. My hope today is that we may once again find a new and fresh hope as a people of Jesus, as a community of Jesus, that doing this right now, in all the ways we've been called to do it, is a special and beautiful thing in this world. And my hope today is that each of us would grab an awe of gluing into community of growing as disciples, right? as we see more people become more like Jesus by planting and leading local, thriving churches. Verse 42 says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, Everybody was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And As I I read this, I can't help but to see our mission statement embodied even in the earliest church example we have. Right? I mean, here are people gathering together to learn about Jesus, to learn what he did from the people who saw it, to know the stories, the teachings, the testimonies, gathering in fellowship that they could be corrected by one another and encouraged by one another. They are making space for spiritual practices as a people. Like, this sounds a lot like more people becoming more like Jesus. Right? And we see, as we keep reading, the way that they praised God. They were thriving with awe and celebration, the way that they concerned for the local needs of their community and the way they continued to grow and devoted to meeting and growing as a community. We see the mission of New Life Church embedded in the earliest scriptures of what a church is because that's where we got it from. Because we believe the Bible is the central source that can guide us in how to live a life that will be transformative to our world. Yeah. Last time I preached, was a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned that when I was a kid, I was one of those annoying kids. I'm probably one of those annoying adults now, but particularly here, I was one of those annoying kids that asked why a lot. You know, my parents would be, my mom would be doing her grocery shopping. I'd be like, why is a door called a door? And mom, you know, just trying, you know, innocently live her life would be like, be like, because they named it that. And I'd be like, why did they name a door a door? And she'd be like, it's probably the guy's name. And you know, I'd be like, why would you name your son door? You know, and anyway, it would just keep going. My poor mother, she was just trying to buy groceries. I was one of those annoying kids. And that can be really annoying for parents. But when it comes to scripture, the question of why is one of the most powerful tools that we have to stop us accidentally just reading over scripture. You see, if we just read over this, if we just take it at face value, here's what we read. Oh, this is something a group of people did once. That's cool for them. That's something they wanted to do. They're entitled to that. But if we ask why, when I ask why, this is the question I ask. Why was it that they were so devoted to the life and teaching of Jesus, to gathering together in growth? Why was it that they got absolutely caught up in making spaces for spiritual practices. Why? Why did they have awe and wonder and praises towards God? Why were they so moved to compassion when they saw the suffering of other people that they saw their stuff as expendable? Why were they so devoted to gathering together? Why? Or in other words, why did these guys have so much hope in the local church? Why did they have so much hope that God was missionally moving through the way they did life together? And I guess the next question is, how? How do we have it today? In the um, video we watched before, there was this quote by a guy called Antoine D. Saint, and I think it's pronounced exupere. I say that because I actually have no clue how it's pronounced. Um, But it says something along the line. It says this, actually. Uh, If if you want to convince men to build ships, don't pass out shipbuilding manuals. Don't organize them into labor groups and hand out wood. Teach them to yearn for the vast and endless sea." So what was the early church's vast and endless sea? As I read that story, the first thing I notice is in verse 242, they said, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Or in other words, they devoted themselves to becoming more like Jesus. They devoted themselves to growing as disciples. For them, growing as disciples was central to the way that they did life together. And, And I want to point out something here. Notice how their version of growing as disciples actually looked quite different to what ours can often look like. I don't know if you've noticed this, but when I say growing, and if you were to give me a synonym for growing, often you would say education, getting smarter, gathering information. How do we grow? Well, we get smarter. But I actually think that's a robbery. I don't think that uh, getting smarter, getting education is a tool, but it's not the fuel of growth. You see, if call of God in our lives was for us as disciples just to keep getting smarter, then the, smarter, the smartest of us would be the holiest of us. And yet, how rarely is that the case? The smartest of us would be the holiest. And when Jesus came and he called his 12 disciples, he would have called the smartest people in his day and age, not 12 trades. No offense to trades, right? It would not have been 12 tradies. It would have been scholars, like the next level of brains. But he didn't. He called ordinary people would be willing to lay the ordinary lives down to be holistically molded by him. You see, growing to Jesus is not just getting bigger brains. Growing to Jesus is becoming a more Jesus-like people. It impacts our hearts. It impacts our minds. It impacts our spiritual and our physical lives. It is a holistic pruning and cultivation that we, are, we could be a people that actually look More like Jesus. And that's just so different to the way we understand growing in our society. I know the number of small groups that I've I've led and and the people who think they're smartest in the room sit down with like a smug holiness to them and people see them and go, wow, they must be so much holier than me. They know the Bible better than I do. And then, you know, someone who has a lot of questions comes into that very same room and kind of feels like, wow, I'm not a very good Christian because I don't know, you know, the secrets of the Ten Commandments or the, the reasons the Ten Plagues happened. You know what I mean? Like they don't have the information and they feel like less of a Christian. But the call of God is not to become a smarter people alone. Otherwise, he would have given us a textbook. The call of God is to be formed into a people of Jesus in relationship with Jesus. And that's why he gave us a love letter and an invitation to know who he is and see more about who he is. And so we're not very good in our society, I don't think, at doing uh, growing well. But how do we do a community? How do we do with gluing? I, I, I notice, um, as I read this in Acts two forty three to 45, it says, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They saw property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Friends, the early church was committed to doing life together. This is how I noticed this. The first thing I noticed is the way they celebrated other people doing things well. Notice this. They were filled with awe at the way God worked through people that weren't them. They were filled with awe when they saw how God moved through someone else. I don't know if this is true for everyone in the room. I don't think it is. But the number of times, even in my own heart, when I've seen God do something through someone else, my first instinct is to say, God, why won't you do that through me? Why 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 don't you speak through me that way? God, I prayed for someone to be healed just last week and and nothing happened. Why why don't you do miracles through me? And it's like, instead of awe and celebration of God working through someone, we respond with, with, with jealousy and competition. But this is a community so committed to one another that when they see God move through someone else, they don't respond by going, ah, not me again. They respond by going, whoa, wow. Did you see what God did? In those hands, through that guy's mouth. Wow, if he can do it through him, he can do it through me. Wow, I'm excited to be a part of this movement. I'm excited to be a part of this community. I also noticed how all the believers, they were together, they had everything in common. In other words, they were committed to unity. It's not that they agreed on everything. It's that in spite of what they didn't agree with, they stayed in common with one another. And finally, I noticed the way that they were not concerned with their possessions with a greater value than they concerned for their neighbors. You see, this community had grown in such a way that when they saw a suffering person, they were stirred with so much compassion. It wasn't like a groan. It wasn't like a, ah, now I have to sell my house. It wasn't a groan. It was, oh my goodness, that person's suffering. What do I have to help? what's a house compared to that person? A beautiful stirring, a beautiful compassion. This was a people committed to community. And so I wonder to myself, as we talk about community, uh, uh, perhaps we've lost the meaning of it. I mean, we see community is a buzzword. There is nowhere you can't look in our society and see the word community written, right? I mean, we've got Facebook, Reddit, Discord, right? These big online communities. Or we've got, you know, the more physical ones, uh, gym culture, activewear, uh, activists, hobbyists, all of these kinds of people. Um, And we have all of these groups coming together and saying, hey, I'm a community. But what they're really saying isn't quite that. What are they saying? Hey, for as long as you're like me, As long as you're interested in the things I'm interested in, come and hang with me. But the second you no longer qualify, the second you're no longer interested in what I'm interested in, sorry, this group's probably not for you anymore. This community's probably not for you anymore. Or you're not dressing like us. Or you don't believe the things or play the games or, or think the way we think anymore. This community's probably not for you anymore. And so modern worldly communities have become more a way to exclude people than to welcome people. And this is not the way Jesus designed or God designed us to be in community. Right from the beginning when he said in Genesis, it is not good that man should be alone. It is not good that man should be alone. What will I do? I'm going to craft a way for community to abound. And this is not what he had in mind for communities. You see, a Christian community looks very, very different. A Christian community celebrates diversity. It celebrates diversity. It celebrates when people are different. You know what else it does? It actually creates genuine space for safe vulnerability, for people to be safely vulnerable. The third thing it does, which I just think is beautiful, is that they are not perfect and they have high integrity. A Christian community may not be perfect, but they are filled with integrity. And then then the fourth thing we see in Christian communities is that they celebrate and champion each other's abilities. You see, the Christian community is meant to be this soft-eyed Arms wide, soft-hearted, big welcome, all are welcome. Collection of lifelong family, moving in the same direction, migrating in a Jesus-like direction together. Friends, take a minute, take a second, not a minute. Take a second, look around. Look around at these people. Perhaps you think to yourself, these are the people I see on Sundays. These are the people I see on Sundays. And, And you know what? I guess we have one or two things in common, but you know, I... um. I I like this, I like surfing, they don't like surfing, I like the water, David doesn't like the water. You know, clearly we haven't got that much in common, so we'll be friends over Christianity, but we probably won't be friends in other ways, right? And, And we can think like that, but the actual call of Christianity isn't that we're buddies in church and we don't talk to each other out. Look around again, and what you see in this room is family, lifelong family. Why? Because the thing we have in common is Jesus. Because the thing we have in common is the God of all creation taking on human flesh with love for us that he may bear our sins, put away our brokenness, raise us up from death to life again, that we may be a people who are renewed and refreshed and alive in a brand new way. We have become a heavenly people with a heavenly mindset. We are no longer bound and construct... What's the word? I forgot the word. Anyway, we're no longer bound up by the things of the world we're no longer bound up by the things of the world. This is not our chief desire. We've become a people. who desire and prize God highest. And so sure, you know, we have differences. But when I look around this room, I see my family. I see my family in Jesus' name. And what we see in society as we look around more and more is that all of culture, as they build these shallow and counterfeit ways of growing and these shallow and counterfeit ways of doing community, doing life together, we actually just keep seeing wounds and hurt and pain abound in the wake of these broken ways of doing community and growing together. We see polarization as people are yelling on two sides. You know, This guy's saying, if you don't agree, you hate me. This guy's saying, if you don't agree, you must hate me. And we see this extraordinary level of polarization as people who can't agree get stuck in separate corners. We see racism, sexism, ageism, we see greed, we see consumerism, we see competition, we see an epidemic of loneliness and wounds and hurt, we see people deep in depression and anxiety, unsure of who they are, their value, their identity, we see people distracting themselves and looking for escapism because they don't know how to face reality, we are seeing wounds and hurt in the largest form abound in our planet, in our world, in our communities and this idea of a utopian society that is that we could do somehow a better way without God, it's not work and it's never worked, the only hope we have is God being imbued in our communities, his ways and his beautiful love being the central driving force for how we do life together well. And you see, this is what new life has. We've looked at the scriptures. And and like I just wanna give a quick tidbit on the scriptures right there. Perhaps in this room, you're not sure if you believe in God. Cool. But when I say we've looked in the scriptures, what I'm saying is we've looked in a book that historically has transformed individual human beings, family units, cultures, towns, cities, countries, and arguably the world multiple times for the better over the course of 2,000 years of history. So this isn't just a book we wrote 30 days ago and said, hey, this sounds good, let's use it. I wonder what book we'll use next month, right? This is the central writing of God himself that we would take hold of it and see a world and ourselves transformed by him as we trust it and follow its ways. And so we read this book and what do we see? We see it say throughout the scriptures, hey, maybe there's a better way. You know, it matters the way that we gather together and do life together and grow together. And so we as the church, we go, well, if it matters, then we wanna plot the way we do life together and grow together in alignment with scripture And this is vital. In other words, we've seen the hurt that broken and shallow communities are causing causing us. We've seen the way your children are hurting, the way our siblings are hurting. We've seen the way our families are hurting, our friends are hurting. You felt the way you hurt, and I felt the way I've hurt. Because I've experienced and seen broken and counterfeit communities. And what God says is there is a better way, friends. We are not in a hopeless and despairing situation. There is a more beautiful way. And so when we speak about how we gather, and when we speak about how we glue and how we grow, we're actually talking about something that makes a very real, very genuine difference in this world. We're not speaking about ideas and information. We are talking about a reality that matters. See, New Life believes in our mission because we believe that if we don't do this, if we don't prioritize how we glue and how we grow, something will be drastically missing from our world and from our church. Drastically missing. Verse 46 goes on to say, Every day they continued to meet together in a temple court. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily, those who were being saved. Friends, if you've got an iota of the vision of the real belief that we have as a church, I imagine what you're left with is a simple question. Okay, great. The way we grow together and gather together, the way we we do life together, it matters. But like, how? What do I do? How do we go? And so I have three answers to that, and I try to make it simple, so they kind of rhyme almost somewhat. It's whose, who, and whoever. Okay, you remember, who's who and whoever, and we're going to see more beautiful Jesus communities abound here, in new life and gather. We will be people who have glued into community, and we have grown as disciples, right? And so my first question is this, whose community will you join? Verse 46a says, every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. Whose community will you join? New Life Calling Gather doesn't just say all this stuff and go, yeah, that was a nice mission. There were some good words to vision Sunday, and that's it. We passionately believe this and have believed it for years. This is why we've partnered with remarkable people in our community who have said, I'm willing to lay down a night of my week in a living room in my house to gather people for joy and deeper community and life together. And they've said, hey, we want to walk with one another in this Godward, Jesusward direction. And so New Life, we have these groups. They're called small groups. It's a very literal word. It's because they're smaller groups. I think that was self-explanatory. And so what we've learned, what we believe, is that a healthy Christian, it's not someone who's gone, hey, I know how to lone wolf this. A healthy Christian is not someone who goes, hey, I know how to do this on my own. I know how to walk the walk without any help. I am a good Christian. We actually believe that's a very unhealthy way of doing the faith and unbiblical way of doing the faith. We believe a healthy Christian is one who is not so insecure they can't admit they don't know how to do it on their own. It's someone who goes, hey, I need a community. I need accountability. I need a space for public correction, not public correction, but for people to be able to correct. I need a space where I can be authentic and real with someone. I need a space where I can laugh and rejoice and build deep relationship with a family. In the Bible, in First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, uh, Paul has this line where he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And what he's really saying is this, and it's just kind of a summary of what we believe. He's saying, hey, Paul, I'm Paul. I'm heading towards Jesus. Oh, you're heading towards Jesus as well? You, let's go together. Let's walk this journey together. I'm heading towards you. Let's go to Jesus together. That is what he's saying here. I'm going to Jesus. Would you follow my example as I follow Christ? And the invitation today from small group leaders around this community is, is would you follow? Would you follow and walk with them as they follow and pursue Christ? Would we do our journey together and not on our own? So I have a way. Remember at the beginning how I said I hope to measurably move the Call of God forward together as a community? I hope this can be a measurable transformation. Well, um, the way I'm going to do this, one way I hope to do this is by downstairs, around a round table called the Information Desk, we're going to have a couple of small group leaders after this service. So when you get your coffee, which you're going to get today because you've got to go to the round table, uh, when you go to this round table, um, we're going to ask one of three questions. One of three questions, okay? And the first question is this. If you are new to our church and you're not sure what we believe or who we are, or you don't know anybody and you want to make friends, ask this question question, what is pathways? That's it. That's all the question you have to ask. If you can memorize that, that's it. What is this pathways thing? And you're going to be invited, your name's going to be written down, we'll ask for a contact detail, and our pathways coordinator will contact you and just talk you through it. And maybe that's the right next step for you. The second question I would love it if our church could ask is this, hey, maybe you've joined our church, you love our church, but you're not in a small group, you're not meeting around someone's lounge, you're not doing community and discipleship well, you're not gathering, or sorry, gluing in a community and growing as disciples. Then the question you want to go downstairs and ask is, hey, what is this small group thing? And is it right for me? And those amazing small group leaders downstairs are going to walk you through the passion. We, we actually had a meeting this week with my small group leaders, and I was astounded by the reasons and the ways they lead small groups. They were sharing some of the incredible practices and some of the things that they're passionate for and the way they so richly care and also have fun and laugh together. And I just sat there blown away that we have such remarkable small group leaders here in this church. And, and, so, and so you say to them, hey, what is this small group business? And, and it sounds like I should be in one, but I don't even know if I can spare it. Can you talk me through it. They're going to take your name and a number or an email down, pass it along to me. And throughout the week, I'm just going to start a conversation with you and see if this small group community might be the right next step for you. And finally, if this mission has really stirred something in you, I want to invite you to consider uh, asking perhaps if it's your call to be involved in some way in leading a community of Christians ever more intimate with one another and ever further Christward right? So you just go downstairs, isn't weird, maybe it's your first day or maybe it's not, and you go, hey, I'm passionate about this. I don't know what it means and I don't know what it looks like, but how can I be involved in the leadership of our small group communities? And they're gonna take your name down and we're gonna have a conversation and we'll work out how do we discern the right next step for you to be involved in the mission of God to see more people more like Jesus by planning and leading local thriving churches here at New Life Call and Gather. So the first question, whose community will you join? The second one is who? Okay, the second one is who? Who will you invite to your table? Verse 46b, it says this, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. You know, the uh, early church opened their homes for people to come into. Do you see that? Now, maybe that's not the right move for all of us, but the imagery of who we will invite to our table is central to what it looks like to do church together well. And my question, is, my question is this, who in this church do you look around today and not know? And could you invite them this week, like in the next seven days out for a coffee, just to get to know them? Who in this church do you kind of know, but you don't know well? who you could invite into your home for dinner one night and just hear their story and get to know them a bit better? Who in this church do you know and would you like to encourage or be encouraged by and you could invite into your life to do life with you? Friends, this is central to the way the early church did life. Whose community will you join? Who will you invite to your table? And third, whoever. Verse 47 says, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily, added to their number daily, those who were being saved. In John eight twelve, when Jesus, it says this, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, whoever, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. Friend, you count in the whoever category. <laughs> this wasn't a whoever if you, here's a list of criteria, terms and conditions, please accept. Now you. It's a whoever. Whoever follows Jesus, the darkness will not possess them. The darkness will not overtake them. The darkness will not conquer them. Whoever follows Jesus will taste life and light in a whole new way that you can't get anywhere else. It's exclusive and unique to the, to the church, exclusive and unique to Jesus. And as we do life together, pursuing discipleship in Christ, what we taste as a community is a new life and a new light that actually matters and means something and transforms the way we do life together and the way it impacts the people around us. And this has been seen in history over and over again. It's not like this is a new idea. We're just being invited again to catch hold of this age-old invitation, this age-old mission to be the people of God, that God might do astounding things in our time again here, in this community, in this room, with our hands, with our mouths, with our feet. This is a mission we can believe in. So perhaps you say, okay, small groups is one way, but how do I grow as disciple of Jesus? There are two ways you can ask questions about today. The first is New Life offers an intensive discipleship program called Catalyst. It's a a program where you do it for a year. And in this year, you don't just learn information We talk and grow and move through the motions of becoming someone more like Jesus. And the second thing you can ask about is New Life Academy, which are a collection of courses put on throughout the year, which you can come to and learn more about Scripture, more about what it means for us, but also more about how we get to taste and enjoy the beauty within it. Friends, but ultimately, it's these deep connections, spaces for vulnerability, authenticity, laughter, joy, and life. Places where we gather in a lounge room and open our scriptures and pray together. It's a place where we can, as a people of God, be honest about where we're at and invite our family, who we now have grown to trust, to stand with us in our battles, to pray for us in our trials, to celebrate with us in our victories. Small groups are the primary way we will see discipleship in this church. The primary way, we will see deep, long-lasting, lifelong community in this church. So friends, whose community will you join? Who will you invite to your table? And whoever follows Jesus will never walk in the, t- in the darkness. Would you be encouraged today that this is worth chasing? I wonder today whether you might pick up an oar, take hold of an oar, uh, a, a missional priority, gathering the lost, Gluing into community, growing as disciples, going on mission. I wonder if you would grab an oar today and whether you would get passionate about seeing the mission of new life, this rowboat of new life, move towards a beautiful, remarkable place that we as a people of God might see miracles and, and be in awe and in wonder and might see movements of God again and be a people unlike other people in this world, filled with life and filled with light as the darkness recedes, I wonder if more people could become more like Jesus by your mouth and by your hands and by your feet because of the Holy Spirit living in you as we plant and as we lead thriving local communities, perhaps through oars of building deep community and growing as true and genuine disciples of Jesus. But perhaps in this room you have a deeper question. Perhaps the question that's been burning in you the whole time is, but why should I be devoted to Jesus? Why does Jesus do so much to influence people throughout the ages? What is it about him? And friends, it, it can be summed up in a, one word and, and in a few words. The one word is this, love. It's love. And a few words is this, he loves you. He loves you. This isn't some metaphorical, weird kind of hyperbole of, of theology or whatnot. No, no, my friend, I'm talking literally and accurately, genuinely with meaning and power today. He loves you. So much so that when he saw after creating all things good that we had decided to oppose his goodness by going through our insecure and broken ways, he said, I will pay the cost for it. I I love you so much. Not like, you know, I like Xbox and pizza, but I love you with my life. I love you with my life and I will stand for you and I will love you. I will advocate and intercede on your behalf. I will see you in eternity and I will celebrate you today in this church. We will do life together in the name of Jesus. Well, we the reason we believe a Jesus community can change everything is not because of the community. It's because of the Jesus filling that community and that's who we get to be. So if you don't know Jesus today, I'm going to invite you to respond in a few seconds and I'm going to invite you to respond by doing nothing complicated apart from taking a minute to look at him, open your heart and say, Jesus, is it true? My heart is open and I'm not sure what it means. I'm here. And perhaps in this room, you want to respond to a missional call of God, but you don't know what that looks like. You have been, you've grown weary or wounded. You have lost hope for what the church could be and church is today in this world. I want to invite you throughout worship and even afterwards to join us before that cross in that open space. And if we see you there, we're going to come over and we're going to pray with you because we believe God wants to do something remarkable and miraculous in this community today. But would you join with me in prayer? Father God, I thank you so much that this is not empty words This is not hyperbole, this is not some metaphor, this is not some idea or or some nice education, that this is the genuine reality that Christians get to experience and endeavor to live throughout their whole lives. This is true Christian living. And I pray my holy God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, we would be filled and renewed. You would do what only you can, what words can't, what ideas can't, what education can't. You would do what only your Holy Spirit can. And you would infuse within us a genuine burning hunger for you and your holiness that a new faith would fill our souls, that those reasons for doubt would no longer possess us and we would respond with worship and confidence that God, you are not done in this community and with our hands, that we do not have things that prohibit you from doing remarkable things in our life. You are able because you are God. And we just thank you. So Jesus, we praise you that you are a loving God, that you are a close God, that you are a God who has been present for each of us, that you are good and where you go, good follows and with all eyes closed and with all heads bowed in this room, perhaps there are people in this room who had never heard the goodness and the beauty of Jesus before. Perhaps there are people in this room who thought they knew who Jesus was, but didn't realize that the meaning of following him was that we would be a people filled with the goodness of Jesus and transformed to be transformational. I wanna invite you to respond by turning your hearts and your eyes towards Jesus and say come. And perhaps if that's you today, we're just me and a member of our ministry team looking if you would raise your hands, all other eyes closed, all other heads bowed, if you would raise your hands to let us know so that we can approach you with a a gift afterwards. Come on. Come on. Come on. Hey, we're gonna pray a prayer together. And I invite the whole church, because we all mean it, to pray the prayer together. And, And we're gonna pray this. Father God, I thank you that you love me and you've always loved me. I thank you that you're present here and you're moving. Call me back to your purposes, to your ways. I love you. Thank you for loving me. I turn to you, come save me. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Friends, I want to invite you to stand and respond to the call and beauty of God in worship.
0: Thanks again for listening to the New Life Podcast. If that stirred something within you or you would like prayer, you can contact us at church.nu or through our Instagram or Facebook page. We pray you have a great week. Be blessed.